Just a little note before this next programme to apologise for the audio quality, which is, you know, less than optimal, let's say. I recorded this interview and the last one using a different programme to record over the internet and I regretted it afterwards. But what can I say? You know, it's pandemic productions and uh, I hope it doesn't detract too much from the content. The York Mystery Plays were performed almost every year with just a few breaks between the 14th and the 16th centuries. And the texts are studied a lot and yet surprisingly little is known about the performances. There is no paintings, there's no archaeological evidence. We we kind of piece together fragments. That's Dr Mariana Lopez from the University of York, who has added substantially to those fragments using computer modelling to understand how acoustics would have changed the medieval mystery plays. So her work to recreate those uh, lost acoustics adds a kind of three-dimensionality to the flat texts of the plays. Like most of the people that I seem to interview for this podcast, she didn't have a really obvious, straightforward path to study past sound. She started studying music. I was part of a medieval music ensemble when I was an undergraduate student, so I play the medieval harp. Um, So I already came with an interest. I had studied medieval music and I was very interested in the possibility of thinking how the impact of how music might have been impacted by the space. But then during my master's um, degree, I started working on sound design. And then my PhD was uh, on acoustics, which um, was much more technical. The other people that I've interviewed so far, they've really focused on sounds. Some people's soundscapes and some people's specific sounds. But, um, you know, why, why would we want to know about the acoustics and what exactly is it? And it's basically how the space in which we are changes the sounds we uh, emit within it. And that could be, uh, it could be speech, it could be everyday sounds, even our footsteps, it could be musical items as well. So it's how that environment in which we are um, actually affects the sounds. And um, to give you an example of the York Mystery Place, that was a study on outdoors acoustics, which is um, even rarer, really. Uh, Most projects on acoustical heritage tend to focus on indoors spaces. Uh, Outdoors acoustics is uh, is a slightly different field. It's also, uh, in a way, a much trickier field because um, out, you know, Once you start working outdoors, there's lots of things you cannot control. Um, But to give you an example through that project, what I looked at is how we could learn through studying the acoustics of the performance spaces of the mystery plays, how we could learn about how the plays might have been performed and what considerations the organisers, the performers might have had and what the auditory experience of the audiences might have been. So... The York Mystery Plays were performed in the streets of York. I um, focused on a particular street that if, if anybody listening has been has visited uh, York at some point, it's Stonegate, which is uh, uh, in central York. And what I worked on is first studying what Stonegate sounds like. So what, what, it, what its acoustics are like today. And we do that through acoustic measurements. So uh, literally taking a, a loudspeaker to the streets of York and microphones and um, 
playing through the loudspeaker is something called a sine sweep. That is a signal that goes up from really low frequencies to really high frequencies and recording that through microphones. And that tells us how the space reacts to the different frequencies. So you're in, you're, you're in York, in Stonegate, and you've got your sine wave, your speaker, and you're, yeah. you're, kind of, uh, you're bouncing this sound off the buildings. Yeah. And then what do you do with that information? Those acoustic measurements, as they're called, uh, they give us mostly numerical data, which is not very exciting, but it tells us uh, how uh, the space changes sound, modifies sound. So we can find things about how clear speech is in that space, so speech intelligibility, we can um, find out how clear music might sound, so how defined it might sound in that space. Um, we can find out how fast or slow sound decays in that space, and even how enveloped audiences uh, will be if they listen to music, for example. The reason why we study the sites in its current stage is uh, to operate something called a validation process. So what we do really is use the measurements on site to validate the computer models we will eventually work with. When we work on a historical acoustics on sites that have changed through time, so me going to Stonegate today isn't the same than medieval Stonegate because the street has changed. So what I do, uh, and many projects operate in this way, they use the measurements, that objective data from the uh, current site to then build a computer model also of the site as it is today, and they compare the results to that numerical data. Once we know, okay, that computer model is, you know, it's pretty good, it's as close as reality as it can possibly be, then we can start uh, modifying uh, that computer model to um, mimic what the characteristics were in the past. Uh, and that could be changing the height of the buildings, it could be changing the surface materials, it could be um, integrating people into the space, so virtual people into the space, and having different listener positions, etc. So you can do really whatever you'd like with a computer model. And actually, maybe um, you could tell us a little bit more about them, the, the mystery plays. So they're, they're religious plays, aren't the they? The York mystery plays have a really, really long, um, long history. And they were, by long, I mean from the 14th century to the 16th century. They had a, a religious theme and there was over 40 plays. And each play represented um, an important moment of uh, Christian uh, history. So it starts with the creation and it ends with the last judgment. So it's a very comprehensive, uh, a very, very long history um, of the Christian faith. And each play was um, set up by a crafts guild. So each guild was assigned a play and they played they did that play um, more or less every year. There were some years where they had to be cancelled because plagues or other, other circumstances, but we believe they were more or less performed uh, every year. There were uh, predetermined spaces where the plays were performed. So um, the plays followed a route through the city of York and they stopped at predetermined street spaces to perform uh, for an audience. Who that audience might have been is, um, is an unknown. There's many unknowns with the mystery plays, um, but 
um, there's a belief that it's mostly standing audiences, like in regular street drama that we might think about today. Uh, but there's also some evidence that there would have been seated scaffolds uh, set up at the sides of some of the streets to accommodate paying audiences. And there would have also been potentially, um, based on the surviving documentation, uh, people uh, watching the place from their windows and sides of the houses. Um, so we're very, very, very big uh, enterprise starting very early in the morning and, and ending very, very late. And basically each play was performed at each performance space. So the same group of people would perform their play several times. Uh, oh, so the whole play, as, as they tour, they're actually having to do the whole thing again every yes. time they move. Oh, I didn't realise that. I thought, just, I thought you had to walk along with it, watching it unfold. They performed the play, then they finished performing, they moved their wagon, which were, um, they, they weren't horse-drawn wagons, they were actually pushed by people. They moved to the next station, they performed again, they finished, they moved to the next station. So very, uh, I, I can only imagine it must have been really tiring to do all that. Yeah, it's incredible. And so then in terms of what you were looking at uh, with the acoustics, you said there are lots of things like uh, you could look at, like the speed of decay of the sound, uh, how enveloped it feels when you're there and how clear speech is. So if we were to look at any of those things in terms of uh, medieval mystery plays, um, why is that interesting? Why would we want to know any of those things? One of the reasons why it's really important that we do acoustical studies on this type of performances is that we don't know much about how they were performed. There is no paintings, there's no archaeological evidence. We reconstruct our knowledge, we, we kind of piece together fragments uh, about the place through some surviving documents, which of course are subject to interpretation, um, and also our knowledge of similar performances in continental Europe, but also what people have experienced in trying to perform the plays in the streets of York or others in modern times. So what we're adding here is acoustical recreations as a way of learning more about the plays. We need to think about how acoustics modified the sound that was part of the plays. And that can help us understand, you know, what was the a good position to hear the plays from. Did paying audiences get a better experience than standing audiences? Where was the best place for performers to be stood? And all these are open questions because we've never seen a wagon of the mystery plays. We've only have recreations based on evidence. So how they would have impacted their performances is a really, really big and interesting question. Yeah, so you've talked about all the questions that you asked about the acoustics, but what were some of the answers that you got? Uh, so, you know, what did you learn about the mystery plays and what it was like to be an audience member and what it was like to perform? I'm really glad you asked that because I think it's really important to highlight that what we're doing in any historical study and definitely with acoustical heritage is we are creating possibilities. We do not know how the mystery plays were performed. We possibly will never know. But this is the powerful thing about computer module is that we can model multiple possibilities. And this is what I've done with my research. I didn't try to say, this is what the mystery play sounded like in the 16th century. I instead embraced the fact that we do not know. And I actually generated multiple 
computer models. There were quite a few, so I can't remember how many, but we're thinking about um, 30 something uh, computer models that looked at very many different things, including where the audiences might have potentially been uh, standing, sitting, etc. What the scaffold structures um, for seated audiences might have been like. Again, a big, big unknown in the mystery place. Loads of unknowns in medieval drama. Um, you know, what the structures might have been like, what was a wagon like, uh, you know, were performers performing towards the side of the street, towards the end of the street, etc. So I created several models, including whether the windows may or may not have been open during the performance and different types of windows. It was quite a quite an enterprise. That's and huge, a huge amount of work. Yes. So you have you have an awful lot of variables, 30 plus models with different things taken into account. But are there any things that you, you, we can say, um, you know, about the experience of listening or about who would be able to hear and who yes, wouldn't? Yes, uh, we can. Uh, and the, kind of the, the most important thing we can say is that there was an impact on the acoustics of the presence of the wagons and how they were used. Because before there was assumptions, people, you know, researchers standing in the street and speaking and, and moving around, but it's not the same than you know, and that's very, very valuable, by the way, but having data that tells you how the changes impact the listening experience is incredibly powerful. And the conclusion I came with is, um, is that it is very, very likely, although we cannot know for sure, it is very likely that medieval performers and organisers were aware of the acoustical changes that occurred when they changed their performance setting. So when they adapted their wagons, when they told the actor, actually, you know what, no, just stand more towards the end of the street. Or what if you go at the upper level? And the reason why I think that is because the changes derived from the acoustical settings are actually noticeable. So it is almost impossible to believe that after years and years of the same people performing the same plays, they wouldn't have noticed that. They were invested in these performances. So I'm convinced through a process of trial and error, of course they didn't, maybe they had no idea why it sounded different, but through a process of trial and error, they would have noticed what sounded better, clearer, maybe it was better for the singers, and they would have, have adapted their methods. Okay, so they would have had quite a, I suppose quite a sophisticated understanding of acoustics, wouldn't they? But also we might feel a different connection with the performers depending on the space. So imagine the difference between, say, you know, recording a drama in a nice small padded studio. Well, you know, the sound would be better than it is here, for example. But um, it would also feel like a very intimate performance. But these performances you're talking about, they're, they're like the opposite, aren't they? They're outdoors. There's maybe big crowds or, you know, you might be leaning out of your window listening to this performance. So what can we tell about that relationship between the performers and the audience in these mystery plays? Um, so what the relationship was with people to the plays is a bit difficult to determine. Uh, there is some snippets of information here and there, but there is not an account of someone thoroughly telling us their experience of attending um, the plays. And again, it's one of those things I, it's ironic about the York Mystery Play studies that it, it has attracted so much scholarly attention, but at the same time, uh, it is really a work um, of, of operating within fragments. Um, it was, uh, the plays were organised as part of Corpus Christi, um, which is religious festivity, 
and uh, a Christian festivity and uh, people would have had the day off so they wouldn't have been working so I suspect it was um, it was a little bit of a mix of we go watch a play then we go do something else then we catch another play at another time um, so what the relationship was with people to the plays it's a bit difficult to determine. So we have carnivals, don't we, and processions and things where, you know, we might have floats and music and people wearing costumes. Um, but it's less common for us, I think, to have plays performed in the street where we have to, like, actually hear their speech or follow what they're saying. And presumably that would affect how you performed it and, and how you wrote it, wouldn't it? So if some people are only hearing this hanging out of the window and, you know, there are noisy crowds and you know from what you've said there are animals and there are bells chiming and things that would have to affect how you performed wouldn't it yes there was some documentation uh, that suggests that voice projection was an important aspect of uh, that was required for people performing in the mystery plays again we're talking about fragments uh, here but there's some suggestions that this was uh, and understandably so as you say an important part of the, of the performance. And we also have to consider that uh, this place would have started very, very early in the morning and be performed very late at night, which is likely that they didn't have a full audience uh, throughout the whole day. You're really looking at trying to model a, a lost acoustic. How do you think uh, the surfaces um, and that environment's changed uh, since the original mystery plays? Um, out of all the performance spaces that are known to have been used for the mystery plays in medieval times, Stonegate is the best preserved of them all. So its dimensions are very similar. Uh, Stonegate has nowadays uh, a cobbled uh, surface. So again, that um, unevenness would have very likely been there as well. Uh, but we definitely have the change of uh, potentially the height of some of the buildings but also the um, Stonegate is a commercial street nowadays, so it has loads of shop, big, big shop windows. So we have to think about the difference between having uh, those very reflective glass panes towards not having them. And um, the computer models were based on the modeling of simulations of medieval shops. Um, and also the fact that we would have had timber framed buildings throughout the street. So nowadays we have a couple of timber frames buildings, but the models had to represent what it would have sounded like with all timber frame buildings throughout the street. And the fact that we would have had um, timber framed houses as this jettied structures. So would the, the kind of the, this, this structures have created a more enclosed space? Would it have, would it have made a difference? So say medieval performances, they're, they're always live, they're always in person, um, as theatre is for us now. But theatre is quite minor in our popular culture now compared to, say, television and film, isn't it? And if you're, if you're performing to a microphone and perhaps also a camera um, and, and things are written in that way, what, what does that change about the, the performance and, and the kind of the sorts of things we perform and the way we perform? Um, and what we want from our drama. Do you, do you think there's anything that's, that has to change there or that inevitably changes? Yeah, it's different. And now that, you know, everything is, is virtual, it's, uh, it's different when you were, you know, talking in, in, into a camera or a microphone and you can't see your audience members. It's very different to 
you seeing the reactions of people and even integrating those reactions into the performances. I think anything that's virtual, as much as we get used to doing it, I think it is never the same. You've, you've spent lots of time doing these, this project. What would you like to do in future? I mean, what, what for you is still left to be found out about the acoustics of, of performance spaces? Um, what I've been working on uh, more recently is how do we communicate this, uh, this information, this wonderful data uh, to wider audiences? And, and I should have mentioned in the past that when we um, when we study the spaces, of course, we do a lot of our analysis and reflections based on numerical data, but we can also create uh, what we call oralizations. And oralizations is basically taking a recording, in this case of extracts from um, the mystery plays, and combining them with the acoustic characteristics that we derive either from acoustic measurements on site or from computer models. And using that to hear that sound as if it was being performed in that medieval space in that particular setting. The more nine women in your forces here in this place, whom hide in sort. Yes, but today is brought, O Lord so fair. Women, that I am here, dear God, how near and see. There is not one version of our sonic past. There's not one version of what the York Mystery Play sounded like. There's multiple possibilities. So I've been working the last few years on an interactive um, web-based interface that allows people to listen to um, three of the mystery plays while choosing the acoustical settings they'd like to hear the plays in. So this allows them to change the type of wagon structure, where the audiences are, where the performers are, and also add elements of the soundscapes to their experience. And the most popular is adding some pig sounds uh, to the mystery plays. And all the sounds that we add, so bells, um, wagon wheels, animals, are actually based on sounds that are very likely to have occurred at some point in the performances. So this uh, this is the next step really for me, is how we use all this wonderful data, everything we know about sensory history and acoustical heritage, and how we, do we, how we present it in an engaging way to audiences. There's still so much that we'll never know about the mystery plays and about how they were performed and what it was like to be at a performance. But thinking about the acoustics helps to make them more three-dimensional. And especially this idea of oralizations using models of lost acoustics has the potential, I think, to help you experience the, the illusion of, of physically being in a space that's no longer there. 
There was an amazing concert performed in a ruined abbey in York a few years ago where a choir sang in the ruined abbey, but the sound was processed through a computer model of the intact abbey. And so the singers in the audience were standing in a ruin, were seeing a ruin, but they were hearing the complete abbey which had disappeared centuries before. And if you go to the website, you can find out more about that project and about Dr Mariana Lopez's work and the interactive interface that she was talking about where you can add pigs to the mystery plays. Past Sounds is produced and presented by me, Abigail Wincott. The sounds and performances in Middle English came from Mariana's project with additional effects from BBC Rewind. Music by Silicon Transmitter. <laughs>